Chris Mackey joins us from across the pond to discuss the current state of the Premier League, VAR, Messi, and his experience as a Yank living and working in England. We down here in the Rattail Bunker in Barbershop Studio, and this is the Boys and Bolos Podcast. Welcome back to the Boys and Bolos Podcast. We down here in the Rattail Bunker in Barbershop Studio. We have a very special guest today, Jarrett. Yes, we do. We have a very special guest, and actually... I forgot to do this when we were we've been talking with Chris our special guest today before we started to record and I forgot to ask how are we pronouncing your last name is it Maki or Machi Mackie. Oh my God! See, a little mix, but mix of both. Mackie. That's what, honestly like I can count on one hand the number of times someone's nailed it first time. So Mackie, it's it's supposedly an Italian last name, so it's probably actually Maki, but. Americans. So. Exactly. Because I saw it and I saw the CH, the double C and the I, and I was like, ah, oh, Maki, like Makisio, you know, like, but yeah. But here's the thing. We're recording, uh, this will come out on like a Wednesday or Thursday, but we're recording at 2 p.m. ish Eastern time. On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, which is a very unusual time for the Boys and Bolos podcast. Very unusual time. Because Chris, Chris lives is across the pond. Po- across the pond, but you'll notice he does not have an English accent because he is actually. American. Deep. It's true. Very deep. Deep it's a very research. Deep, it's a <laughs> You've really done analysis. your research this time, really Joe. Sometimes it. you surprise me. <laughs> I've really done it. I really, I really uh, you know, dug deep into the... So, 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 so Chris... The archives yeah, there. Yeah, archives, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, really, you really looked, looked at his Wikipedia up on Wikipedia. For a long time. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thank you for coming on the podcast, Boys and Bolos. How are things across the pond? Uh, first off, it's an honor to be here. Thank you guys for moving around the timings and everything to to be uh, accommodate my needs. I'm, I've been a pain in the butt here, so thank you for that. Um, it's still, I don't know if you can tell, there's a window here. It's still sunny, which is like a huge deal right now. It's 7 p.m. Uh, I've been good, man. I, just yesterday, so we're recording this on a Tuesday. Just yesterday was the Monday that they unlocked the UK, theoretically. So barbershops are back open uh the pub is back open all that kind of stuff and i think there's like a renowned source of uh like hope at the end of the that that, yeah through the end of this kind of experience so um we've been on not a super serious lockdown but like things have been closed like everything's been takeaway there's no shops open or anything like that so there's definitely uh some excitement and i think people are hoping to get back into stadiums in some way shape or form before the end of the season when you say that because i think for the Carabao Cup, Cowabunga Cup, uh, the Cowabunga Cup Cup final. That's the new name. I like it. The Cowabunga Cup final. They uh, released. You can apply. I think it's some kind of application process for the City fans and the Spurs fans. Two thousand tickets each. So there'll be four thousand fans in Wembley. It's gonna feel. It's gonna be empty. Ridiculous. (laughs) It's gonna be absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I find. I really. I don't know if you guys are the same. I really struggle with the no fans thing it feels like like even though we're like up against uh, euros and we're up against like going through the premier league right now and and going through cup competitions it still feels like an asterisk year and a half for me like it it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel like it this is terrible for me to say but like it doesn't feel like it should count really because it just it feels empty literally and figuratively um without without actual fans in the stadium like we've discussed this thing potentially last time i was at wembley was for fulham getting promoted two years or three years ago, whatever, like, like almost like a life-changing experience. Like really the first time in a long time that I was at a game, like really, really sweating a result, hoping to grind it out. And like, 
comparing where we are today to that experience at like a Wembley for a playoff final, it's just, it feels very, very tough. I think we've talked about this in the pod and it's just, you know, we don't even talk about home field or home, you know, wherever the, wherever the away game is or the home game is anymore, because it doesn't feel like an advantage or a disadvantage. It's just, it's just nothing. And it's, you know, that, that 12th man, is is the is the fans and uh or are the fans however you want to say it and um you're right i i feel the same way i think i think as a spurs fan especially like the they blow leads they're blowing leads in like the 75th minute on they're like the worst team in the league on the, in that for that if there were fans at these stadiums for these games jose would be out it would be you know there'd be so much more pressure i think there'd be a lot more pressure for other teams as well as like you know i think every coach is kind of getting a mulligan this year. Every team's kind of getting like a mulligan for like results. You can say, "Oh well, COVID." So, and I and and that applies pretty much a broad swath across like life. Like even at my job, I'm like, "Oh, COVID." Yeah, you know, it's a COVID year. Yeah. I think as yeah. sports fans, it's been very difficult to watch. The two sports that I watch the most on TV are basketball and soccer. And they're both sports where the fans are definitely well, any sport. Obviously, fans are going to be a part. But basketball, you have literally have courtside seats. So play you can reach out and touch players when they inbound the ball. And watching the Lakers win the championship felt so empty because it was yeah. just like they won and then nothing was different. And then I do feel for Liverpool fans, and it's obviously here we are. You're an Arsenal. I got my Tottenham, and I'm a Chelsea fan. So it's like kind of great to be like, oh, let's chalk this one off to like you know, if Liverpool win it or if City when they win it this year to try to be like, there should yeah. be asterisks there for the historical look back, but it feels really empty. And we're at a place now where, you know, when you score a goal in soccer, I don't care if you're playing pickup. I don't care if I'm out back and we're playing with Jeff's kids and we like score a goal. There's something that feels good about it. There's a dopamine rush, but now yeah. you're doing that. No one is celebrating you and you have to then wait to see what VAR is going to do. So it's like, the game has just lost luster. Like it used to be super cool. And I'm not a Cristiano Ronaldo fan. I respect him, but I'm not like, you know, a fanboy of him, but it used to be super cool to see Cristiano score when he first moved to Juve because he would go over to the corner, jump and the entire, however many people they had in Turin would be like, see, and like, that gives me goosebumps even thinking about it. And then, you know, in Bayern, when Bayern would score classically, you know, they'll be like, who scored? And they'll and they'll they'll chant the name three times after the announcer says it or whatever. And it's just so dead. So it does feel like a lot has been lost. The fact that Anfield isn't a fortress anymore. Everything is changing. And yeah, I kind of sidetracked us with that. But no, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. a great example of of that is like seeing Real Madrid playing Champions League games from their like academy stadium at their training facility. It's like. No, yes they're i mean it's it's awesome for them to be able to renovate their stadium without having to like kick fans out and all that kind of stuff like we've seen spurs have to kind of ground shares the wrong word but like sit in one stadium and then go, actually no ground shares the, the right word when they went to wembley like that was a that's a tough decision for fans but just to like turn on champions league and see real madrid playing in a like glorified high school stadium is like crazy um it just it kind of sucks it out of it i think it was when, you know, Chris is a Columbus crew fan, which I won't hold against them because they're current champions. It was tough watching the restart of the MLS or when the season started again and they had their little tournament down in Florida because they were basically at a place that I went down in club in high school to play where you have this massive layout of all these, you know, it kind of looks like 
what's the name of where they play tennis in Queens? There's a certain name for it. But anyways, there's like the lower level teams play here. All the fields are the same, but it just basically has to do with the quantity of stands you have. But then they were playing games that look very much like Real Madrid's, you know, lower level teams or whatever or practice because there's it's the whole point is really not to have spectators. And yet that's where we've gotten. And I think it's also very interesting to think because in the past where you have a ground share, like with Tottenham, what they had to do, other teams have had to do. It's why Chelsea apparently have been putting off the building of their stadium because they don't want to deal with that. It's like any fan in the world would take that now over not going at all or having empty. So the world has definitely changed 180. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and you have it in your background, and we kind of talked about it before we started recording, was YouTube and how that has influenced the game. And now at a time where we're all going inside, what, you know, for the past year of the pandemic, what has been the impact of YouTube and other social media outlets that you've worked with professionally or, you know, you work at, or you use personally to further the impact of the game? Because now we don't have people in stands. You know, the distance between player and fan is in some sense physically grown, yet digitally it's never been closer because I could just DM my favorite player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I think like there, there are a couple different layers to this. One is actually going back to the MLS. What was it? MLS's back tournament, I think back in Florida, where they actually tried some innovative stuff on the broadcast. They tried like computer generated graphics and in the stands and all that kind of stuff. And I think had we had a little bit more time to develop stuff like that, it would be fascinating to see if we knew COVID was a year and a half away, what on the broadcast side would start to be like being built now infrastructure wise and like tech wise to, to lead into a world that looks like live streamed gaming, like innovative graphics, that kind of stuff. Whereas I think what we were, we ended up being forced into like kind of a band-aid. we being just the, the soccer industry or the sports industry, kind of a band-aid of how we broadcast these games. But moving forward, I think like, I think it's been a huge year for year and a half for, for YouTube and for social platforms in general. I say this as a YouTube employee. So there's like, there's an asterisk next to my opinion, of course. Um, but I think in general, like it's, it's fascinating to see. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, um, uh, Ben Foster, the cycling GK, he's Watford's goalkeeper. He's got a YouTube channel. He's been like, he crushed it. He started in October and has just been flying with videos, doing a video every week, but has been vlogging like every single game. And also there's a cycling component. He like loves cycling. So you get to see something like completely away from, from the pitch, but like he's vlogging every single one of their games, traveling up on the plane. You get to meet the characters. He's got a goal in the camera or he's got a camera in the goal. He takes a GoPro and puts it in the goal. And this is like, I think the biggest like breath of fresh air for what we've seen out of anything in COVID is he just started putting a GoPro in the back of his goal during the game. Obviously he doesn't have the rights to this footage. People pay a lot of money for this guy has these, these broadcast rights, I think uh, for the championship and just started like cutting together highlights and like the, the fallout from the fallouts, the wrong word, but like the ramifications from that is that he signed a deal with them to have the rights to be able to use his footage and also like actual highlights in his videos because of the reach that he ended up getting. Right. So it comes around from being able to pull back the curtain a little bit and, and give an athlete's point of view on his world and his travels and his club and sitting, sitting in the hotel, the team meals, all that kind of stuff. And even more specifically, like going on the road, when we talk about home field advantage and how it feels weird today, like going on the road, some of these, like some of these stadiums aren't big enough to have 
like the proper changing facilities now because of COVID they like every player has to have whatever it is, six feet of like locker space. Some of the like city has big enough lockers, locker rooms, whatever, but some of these championship clubs with old stadiums literally are having the away team change in like their suites. And like, it's not a big locker room or it's like a banquet hall because they just need, or, or like they're, they have porta cabins, like portable, like, like the stuff we used to go to math class in <laughs> like outside of our, <laughs> yeah, like trailers, our schools because like they were yeah, under yeah. construction. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally trailers. Thank you. Um, and so like this is stuff we wouldn't see on the broadcast. You never get to see this color in this context. And I think Ben has done a brilliant job of one being a personality, but two, like really peeling back the curtain. And I don't think it would have happened if it weren't for COVID and fans being locked out of stadiums. He, he kind of said like, we've got nothing to lose. Fans can't be here. We can only win in, in getting them closer and showing us showing them what we're doing as Watford uh, like through this season. And then the kind of bringing it back to the broadcast point, he struck a deal uh, with with kind of the rights owners to be able to add highlights into his own videos. Um, and you'll see now all the comments are like, I don't really know anything about Watford, but this is brilliant. And now I'm a Watford fan or, hey, I'm actually a Leeds fan. I should hate you guys, but like. I really care about Watford and want to see you guys get promoted as a result. Like it's really, really cool on that front. So I think that's, that's been a really fun thing for me to, to kind of get to watch this year is just how it's evolved compared to how it has been in the past. One of the things you just said, I think is really interesting because there seems to be a thread growing with the boys and bolos community. And they now include you in that community and, you know, Ben putting up his, his information is cycling and soccer. We've now had Alex Ziabko on from LA, who is a manager of artists and different talent. He's into cycling. Skyler from DC, he's into cycling. And Jeff is pro cycler for a while. And so, <laughs> Jeff, why is there this thread of cycling and soccer? Or is this oh, just the thing no. that like older men do? When I yeah, say older men, yeah. I mean knees I was, over 28 that's, because I'm we can't about, run. <laughs> I was just about to say when your bodies, you can't take the impact from okay. from running every day. You turn to something that you can do. And it's a it's a sport you can do until like you're like 70. So maybe ah. beyond 70 beyond. It's like the it's like golf kind of, but a little bit more competitive. And uh, it can be I mean, golf can be competitive, but. There's there's racing at all levels. Very you don't cool. have to race. It can also yeah. be as cheap or as expensive as you want right. it to be. Like in in football, you top out with boots that are I don't know three hundred pound or three hundred bucks, whatever. In cycling, it's like you drive a Lamborghini, you can also have a fifteen thousand dollar bike. Like or or you don't drive a Lamborghini, but you can also choose to invest your money in a twelve thousand dollar bike, whatever it may be. So I think that there's also a bit of that flex in in how people. Yeah, are there's using a whole like gear too. like culture swag culture. swag culture thing to like cycling that's yeah it's I, yeah very I, I wanted to ask you i'm sorry I, I didn't want to take away from chris's amazing explanation of <laughs> how social media and the power of you know the impact of connecting through digitally and and actually kind of going back to that when i haven't seen any of this so now i'm going to go down a youtube rabbit hole so thank you for that because i think that that's one of the things that the pandemic has kind of done is it's like stripped back the veneer of maybe fandom or whatever it could be and seeing players as human beings over the past year, players have lost parents. Um, coaches have lost parents to the pandemic and it's kind of been the great equalizer because there's not one of us on the planet. There's not one person on the planet who hasn't been directly or indirectly affected by this. And so I think it's really great that Ben was able to tell that story using YouTube as a medium. And so 
what's your work now? And it's not soccer related, but it's with YouTube. Yeah. So I, my role at YouTube, I'm, I'm, kind of look after the top gaming creators here in the UK. So my entire career up until I joined YouTube, so up until a year and a half ago, my entire career was working in, in soccer. Um, I was lucky enough to work at MLS. That's, that's, that's an MLS match ball from a couple years ago. Um, worked at Kick TV, which was a YouTube channel um, that got acquired by Copa 90. Like my entire world was entirely shaped by, by soccer and FIFA and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I got this opportunity to move into gaming. And um in some ways, it's completely different, right? I think what what excites me is the future, I think, of sport broadcast and like soccer broadcast, basketball, whatever it may be, NFL, is going to be informed by what live stream gamers are doing right now in, in terms of like interactive graphics and chat interactivity and all that kind of stuff. I think like sport will have to move that way because that's where a lot of the interesting innovation is happening. Um, but I think just more like holistically, it's, it's just been super interesting like the, the gaming space is so fresh there is you don't get 70 years of broadcast history or whatever, whatever we have like f yeah probably 70 years like 50s 60s is where they like i'm assuming sport broadcast really kind of came into its own um so yeah i think like it's just all being literally made up right now and it, it's just completely fresh from a creative point of view so um the gaming side of things is fascinating it also leans into game or leans into sport and soccer with with fifa which is obviously i think the onboarding ramp for a lot of people in america especially of how they got into watching soccer or loving a team or knowing players whatever it may be i went to high school in ohio i had a lot of friends growing up that didn't care about soccer and then like we all went away to college and then came back and all of a sudden they're huge liverpool fans because fifa was what you played in the dorms and that was like awesome to me and i'm, I'm sure like a lot of people in the States have a similar story of, um, you know, friends that fell in love with the game or they themselves fell in love with the game or fell in love with the player or storyline because of what FIFA allowed them to kind of access. Um, just to tie all this back together, there's a team over here called Hashtag United. It started out as a, as a YouTube team. They're now, like, I think on the ninth tier of the English football pyramid. So they're actually trying to, like, get promoted and make it, like, theoretically, they could get promoted nine times in a row and be in the Premier League. Um, so like now that they're playing competitive matches, they're not necessarily a YouTube team anymore, but it, they're, you know, they've got a, a channel, a, a bunch of different YouTube channels. They, they bring in YouTube personalities. Like it is certainly how they market themselves. It's, they've got an Adidas like kit deal. It is how they have become an entity. Um, but they just earlier this week released a video of like, Hey, we had an inter-squad scrimmage because we're finally getting back into like being able to train as a team again. So we decided to test out this theory of, or this like, yeah, I guess a theory of what would happen if there was no offsides rule. Like it's been talked about. I think Arsene Wenger might've said like, we should investigate something like this or it goes into a VAR conversation. Like, is that the direction we want to go or should we abolish offsides altogether? They're like, screw it. Like, let's, let's make a video about this. Let's play a, like an inter-squad scrimmage. Let's see what happens, what changes with the game when you don't play with offsides. So they, they had licensed referees. They still had linesmen to call out of bounds and all that stuff. Like it was done, you know, somewhat professionally. Uh, they just removed it. And it, funnily enough, I think it took them at least 45 minutes for them to stop like playing as if there was an offside rule. Like the second half was total debauchery. The first half was like somewhat organized and like them trying to play through the midfield and all that stuff. But I think like that side of things is just really re refreshing and fun. Like I'm not saying the Premier League or, or UEFA should go in that direction necessarily, but I am really glad that 
YouTube and the creativity that YouTube allows. And it's not just YouTube, it's people who, you know, whose preferred platform is TikTok or TikTok or Twitch or Instagram, whatever. I think it's just the social generation is trying to do creative stuff. And I think it's been fun to see that play out on, on platforms. The hashtag United was actually something I talked with Jamie Becker about. Jamie Becker joined us. He's a local He's a local college kid here in Massachusetts. He actually just did an internship down in, in Duke in North Carolina having to do with social media and its influence. He built up an Instagram following on an account to like 150,000, all based around soccer. He's moving into different things now, but we talked about Hashtag United for about 30 minutes one night because he was just telling me, and I'd never heard about it. So it was kind of like, I think when someone first tries to explain cryptocurrency to you, because you're like, wait, what? They did what? And so Hashtag United was, as far as I understand, it's basically like an account and these guys got serious and now, you know, they have a lot of views and they've now putting a team in and right, they want to try to go up through the English ranks, but the way they're doing it is such a non-traditional approach. It's almost like they looked at Red Bull Leipzig and was like, what's even more extreme than just trying to like get a team to the Bundesliga and that's Hashtag United. And it's insane how much YouTube engagement they have. Like yeah, millions. Yeah, it's, it's and, crazy. Do they have they, a million followers now? Subscribers, excuse me. They they are short of a million. I think they're in the nine hundreds. Right, but mistaken. they're close. So like <laughs> knocking on knocking on the door, um, and we'll do a couple hundred thousand views on on a video, kind of without batting an eye. Like that for for a for a team in the in the championship. That's crazy. Like that their YouTube viewership is probably mid table, if not high table, in the Premier League alone. Right of of current Premier League clubs. Um, so it's just been like a complete breath of fresh air and creativity of what happens if you don't have the rules, if you don't have a broadcast like deal to work off of. They played in an FA Cup. Or they played in a couple of FA Cup games before, lock, was it before lockdown, I think, um, and streamed one or two of them on Twitch. Uh, there were like 20,000 live concurrent viewers. Like that's stuff that teams would love like in the Premier League to have 20,000 live concurrent viewers watching on a Twitch stream. Like you can't, you can't pay for that. You, you like, it's, it's really hard to fake. Um, so there's definitely something brewing there. And I think their fans just love the idea that there's uh, a different way to take, you know, broadcast and interacting with sport. We are constantly talking about VAR on this podcast. So we maybe don't want to harp on that too long, but from your kind of technology background and how that engages essentially with the rest of the world, where do you come down on VAR? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? What would you change? And please know there's no right or wrong answer other than maybe YouTube hears it and they're like, Chris, that's a horrible answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, my personal opinion, that's that's my uh that's my caveat. Um, I think I was open to VAR being a good thing when it first came in, and I'm like decidedly bummed out about it. It's just I don't think I can't remember a specific example where I'm like, that was the right call, and I'm glad that it was like, I'm, I'm relieved that VAR was there to save the day, right? Like the West Brom game, I watched the highlights. I didn't get to watch it live. Like we have technology for this and we still got it wrong. It's like, if, if the tech is going to get it wrong, then what are we doing here? Like it's, I'm not saying abolish the offside rule, but I, I think it, there's beauty to like tie goes to the runner or just kind of, you gotta, you gotta eyeball it a little bit. Um, I, th I think there's value to that in sport. I get it from a fan, especially from a money point of view. Like if the World Cup final was decided, we've seen England um, lose. I think it was a Frank Lampard goal decided not to, or was not called a goal because they didn't have VAR, that kind of stuff, or goal line technolo technology. I don't, I don't know. I think at this point I'm I'm over it. Um, I don't know if they'll remove it, 
but I mean, you might as well just have like a live poll show up on, on screen and let the fans decide should it have been a goal or not? Like it, it seems it's that much of a crapshoot at times that, um, so yeah. this is my, this is my take on it. Right. So you have the technology, but you have a, but what ends up happening in reality is, is a guy in a booth or a guy in a room who's the same level. It actually is just an, a, a head referee, uh, a Mike Dean or a Michael Oliver in a room making the same decisions basically as the guy in the field. So there's this like, there's this like kind of confusion about who's in charge. Is it the ref and the, is it the ref on the field or is it the, the ARF? And I think at this point we pretty much think it's the VR. We know it's the VRF because he gets a thing in his ear and then he goes over the booth and he's still checking his ear. He's still, he's looking at the monitor, but he's checking his ear. And then, uh, it's, you know, the technology is saying this is the line, you know, this is the line based on where it was, ki- when it was kicked. But I don't know if the, the, if that's the right call to make, if that, if, I mean, about a letter of the law for like an offsides rule, the line, a guy's shoulders over the line, then it's offsides. Should there be some kind of, uh, kind of gray area where the ref gets to make the call? And I think that's what people want. I think people want that like yeah. gray area back where the ref gets to make a judgment call based on the speed of the game, based on the situation. Right? You, Is that? Yeah. I think that's 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 what I want. Like, give me a give me a quotient of like he was off by eight inches, but we're just gonna let it ride anyway. Like, tell me tell me the exact rule, but like. I don't know. This is a terrible idea, by the way, but like, that's almost <laughs> what I would prefer. It's like VAR says he was off, but you know, we consciously for the love of the game just decided that it's more entertaining. If he was yeah. I, I, uh, I think that what people wanted was it to be fair, but what they really wanted was calls to go their way and then not go their way for the other team. But what, so what was happening before was you get a call your way and then you'd gripe about it, but then, Later on in the game or the next game or something else, you get a call against you or for like, so it would just be this like kind of equitable thing where you wouldn't get a call, but then you would get a call. So it all kind of even out in the wash. Now it's just the letter of the law. So people feel people just get like real butthurt about it. And they're like, let's change the rule. Let's change the techno. Let's just do the get rid of. Well, what do you want? Like, do you want do you want it back to the old way, or do you want this like the new way where the thing where it's actually right? I, or I do we change the, the rule? Yeah. I love the old. The way. old way is the best way. The old. I I just yeah. Of course it left it, is. it up That's to the, the game. fact that like you know you're playing soccer in Massachusetts or in Ohio, and you're gonna get a ref who's a jamoke. He's gonna throw your whole day off. Yeah, that's the way it is. And like the Lampard goal, I remember watching. That was 2010. I remember being in a bar in Guatemala watching that going insane because I did not want Germany to win because the ball scored. Lampard's a Chelsea guy. It was way over the line. I mean, it was just it's literally a meter over the line and no one saw. That was one of the most, you know, but at the same time, if you had VAR, then you don't have Diego Maradona right. He gets red carded and he probably gets killed on his way back to Argentina. (laughs) So it's like. The way these things, in hindsight, it's tough to tell, but I think we're also, we now sound like old men, whether we want to believe we are or not, I know. because we're like, oh, it has <laughs> to go back, exactly, like, ah, you know, shaking fist to the sky. I don't think there's an easy answer, but it's kind of like the way Jeff described it. It's like, you know, you're going to get some on some day, and some days you're not going to get some, so it was like the old way my friend's mother used to, when when she gave us food, she gave us a sandwich, and, and this was the rule on how you split it up. She's like, all right, one of you cuts it, and then one of you gets to choose first 
hopefully hoping that no one's going to go, you know, because if you get to cut and choose, you're going to get 75% of the sandwich. But it doesn't seem like that now. I don't know. Maybe I just think soccer players and soccer fans were basically just living in a telenovela because we always want it to be our way. And when you step back from soccer, and this is something I think Gab- Gabriel Garcia Marquez since Gabo said something about soccer. It's basically like people just want the most drama. And like one of the ways to do that is to essentially, and I'm butchering this quote. So if you look it up, you can, but he said, you know, one of the ways to do that is to put a human in the middle because humanity is imperfect. And I think we still want technology yeah. to be imperfect, but technology is literally calling us on our bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So. I think I've been to the VAR room and it's like, it's just so sterile it feels like you're in a call center somewhere like you're not in the stadium you're far away like it just feels like the wrong command center for for football like maybe if var is a thing have have it done in every single stadium and that's just how it rolls and you get you hear the like you hear the the kind of the the murmur of the crowd and you understand not that any of this should play into var i guess but like at least you're there on site and and can be a part of that experience like right now it's literally like Hey, let's fax over to the guys and have them fax back to us whether it's real or not. Like, <laughs> it is it, a it's fax. Like, text your buddy and, and get his opinion. It's it, it's kind of it a is, joke. It's um, it's kind of like this weird. So yeah, I'm not saying the NFL is right in the way that they do instant replay, but I think that the I think the Premier League and just UEFA in general with VAR could should, could learn some a thing or two about. Uh, the NFL. I know that the game is is a it's a different game, but they they seem to get most decisions. People don't like it. People don't like the fact that they check every you know touchdown and that you know everything is scrutinized. But they at least it's quick. You know, at least it's it doesn't hinder the speed of the game. I would actually say it maybe not be quick, but it's built into the game. Pauses right. and timeouts are intrinsically built into football. So it's like while we move the chains. If we take an extra five seconds onto the 10 seconds that it takes to do that, it's only 15 seconds. It's built in where soccer has always been this beautiful, fluid thing. No. And when you have to put in pauses, there it's are like always horrible. pauses in soccer, though. There are pauses in soccer. Yeah, but they're not built into the game. They're organically created when Luis Suarez thinks he lost his okay. teeth and is crying on the ground <laughs> for three minutes. True, but I mean, there's a penalty that happens. They, they have the time to, to look at it and get it right. In the box, I'm not talking about like a penalty in the middle of the field. I'm talking about like a penalty. You're, in the you're box. talking about a penalty, but because there's like a stoppage of play. There's a stoppage yeah. of play for a while. Yeah, the clock keeps running, yeah. but it's just the same. Yeah, but it's, it's the not same a, like a long time. Not as long as some of these checks are. I'm saying normally it's it's like it sucks in the stadium because they don't show anything. Like you don't. Yeah, you're you, just, it's, it just says far as being checked, and like you're sitting there, and it feels like you're the only one in the world that doesn't know what's going on, and so you're just like s- sitting there quietly. And good or bad, your reaction is. Like not going to be great. Even though you said that's so, I've never thought about that because once again, I've still yet to go to a game in England on the bucket list, right? But one of the things you just said is you're yet to you feel like you you don't know what's going on yet. If you're in the stadium, you literally paid money to know what's going on to have an experience that other people didn't pay for that are watching around the world, especially if we're talking about the Premier League as a product. So I think that that's a I don't know. I feel bamboozled. Like I want my money back. You know, like somebody lied to me. I just think make it more transparent, speed it up, and change the offside rule. So going to offside, because that's what I want to talk about. What do you do you guys think soccer would be good without an offside rule? No, 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 no. Gotta keep the offside. But you have to change the whole draw the line thing, uh like a body 
appendage is, is passed as a fender yeah. thing. It has to be like it has to be like very clear and obvious. And it's ha- like if they're they have to be like getting gaining an advantage. Gaining a discernible advantage. Chris, do you do you agree? Or are you just like, yeah. let's just go crazy, no offsides, let's go. No, no, no. Definitely not. Like I think the I think the game would just fall apart if it was like you can cherry pick and, and do that. I think the hard part, the, the thing that I still don't really understand is no matter how you change it, there's still like a millimeter of decision making, right? And that's where people are gonna continue to get it wrong. Whether we're talking current offside rule or you can have a foot or in like half your body, whatever it is, that half your body still comes down to, you know, a split second decision made by a referee. And, you know, it's still open to be get like gotten wrong. I would love there to be a larger gray area. I still, I just don't understand how in a VAR world, how you teach computers to make the gray area huge as opposed to like very, very specific. Like, I don't know. I, I think like if it were, I don't know if Tygo is the runner is actually written into the rules of baseball or if it's just how we grew up playing. But like if there was a, yeah, he's close enough to like to the discernible eye, we're not going to go review it. And then the goal stands as a result. I think that would be better than um, goal line technology. I think for sure is a good addition to the game. Like definitely when a goal goes in, I want the game to be stopped and I want that goal to be awarded. Some like some of the VAR stuff around, Fouls is probably a bad example, but definitely around the offside rule, I would, I would stay away from that. It just feels like it doesn't do any good. Yeah, I think the big one of the the first change they can make without even doing anything uh, with offsides is that the as soon as the ref uh, sees an offsides, should call it. It shouldn't be this let's play on bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is next level because mm-hmm. there's something bad can happen. You know, something some kind of like foul can happen. They just need to call it, blow the whistle dead if it's clear. And obvious right um i know what yeah. why the- it's always awkward like they changed that like 15 years ago and it's still awkward today yeah. of like every defender stops every attacker keeps running and then we're like all right he's gonna call it back anyways but now we've wasted 15 seconds while you kick the ball out of bounds and you're now 40 yards offside yeah. like just i agree with you just call it blow it dead move on yeah i never understood Get that going. i still don't understand that it will go on for like 30 seconds yeah and i'm just like if there was a like there was a there was an infraction in the law. Stop the game. Like, I don't know. Most of the time, if the ref, if it's on the line or if the ref doesn't know, then that's when they would go and review it anyway. It's yeah. not like they're, like, letting the play. The guy scores a goal, and then they're going to review. It was clearly offside. I, it's so weird. It's so, it's not the whole right. The whole thing is strange. And, and, even, strange. The, and even the, like, announcers yeah. and pundits are like, this is this is ridiculous. We need to, play, like, call the, you know, whistle the ball dead. I want to ask you a question since you're on the other side of the pond and we have big tournaments coming up this summer. Do you think, you know, give me your list of teams that you think could win the Euro and is England within that? And I asked that in the context of last year when they were playing Croatia in the semifinal, all I heard was like, it's coming home. It's coming because they thought they'd somehow already won two games that had yet been played. Yet they created the game, and they forget apparently that soccer is so unpredictable. So obviously they lose to Croatia in overtime. I know if you're listening to this in your English, that may be some wounds. Uh, you know, does England have a chance? We're obviously a Premier League podcast. We know the depth of the English squad. I mean, you could argue for hours who you want to be in the middle of the pitch, who you want to be in the back on the defense. They, England has so who, who you want to be in goal. They have three goalies who yeah. I think you could argue for on any different day and say. They could probably in between Pope, uh, Nick Pope, who's uh, Henderson and Pickford. 
So, do you think England has a chance to win the Euro? And if not England, who are the other two or three teams that you think really are, are the ones that should be in the conversation? Good question. Uh, the short answer is yes. I think England is as good or as prepared as they've been in, I, I don't know, recent memory to actually make a dent in this. I, I think like in somewhat, I, I look at England with the, in the same lens that I look in the U.S. If like finally there's excitement and like renewed energy despite, you know, our inability to do anything from a U23's point of view, like there's still like, there's stuff to be excited about, right? Young players and not, we're not just boasting off or coasting off of legacy guys anymore. So I think on that side, yes, England does have what it takes. I think in my opinion, that being said, I'm also super biased and the 20, whatever it was, 2016, was 2016. Are you thinking about the Euro or the World Cup? 20 no 2018 20, yeah, the 2018. World Cup. it was like the, that was the that was the greatest summer of my life it was amazing <laughs> it definitely was coming home and like until further notice it still is coming home um so like i think from from a like life over here point of view i definitely want england to do well it's just super super special when they go on a run in a summer tournament everything stops um i think they have the talent to do so for some reason england just can't figure out how to do it in, in big competitions though so I, I guess you could also make that argument for everyone except for one team, every single or one nation, every single tournament. Um, but for some reason, they just feel like it feels like they sputter in, in big tournament tournaments. So they need to figure that out. Maybe that's where youth comes in instead of legacy legs um, and, and kind of old heads. So we'll see. Um, I think if it's not them, it, I really struggle with these. Like I, I want to, I give props to, to France. I feel like they're just an impenetrable force and they have been and you know maybe they'll continue to be maybe they won't i don't know um i think belgium is always dangerous the netherlands are always dangerous i feel like i'm just listing countries that everyone knows is good or everyone like has already agreed upon as being good but i think maybe that's the excitement about um about the euros is it could be england's year it could be germany's year it could be like i don't know there could be there's always a surprise in there as well so um is this one where, you know, a, a country that we're not expecting makes a run to the quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever it may be. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like not answering your question, but I would always kind of go with the usual suspects anyways. I think Belgium are ranked number one. They're probably the favorites ish. Favorites ish. I think favorites ish. Um, with, I think kind of a question mark on De Bruyne and who's going to turn up, like what De Bruyne is going to turn up for that tournament. Uh, is it going to be like what you were getting at the start of? I think COVID impacted him greatly in terms of fitness, but um, I think they've he's been they've been kind of managing De Bruyne in terms of his maybe an injury, a slight injury, or like overwork or whatever it is. But uh, he's been sitting out some games. He hasn't played every minute this season like he has a lot in the past. Uh, I think Portugal. Um, I think Portugal is going to be a threat. They always are, and then. I'm not so sure about Spain anymore. And then uh, England, yeah. I mean, they're, I say this as a Spurs fan. I, maybe there's like a curse with Harry Kane. Whatever team Harry Kane's on can't win a freaking trophy. I mean, that's like <laughs> you're not going to get much more self-deprecation than that. But yeah, that's pretty dark. I mean, if he goes to a different – like yeah. it's, it's going to be true, and they're going to start saying it. If he goes to another team and they don't win a trophy, they're going to be like, oh, well, no, Harry Kane's just cursed. He's cursed because if they don't win the Euros with Kane – if he goes to like a, a Madrid or or if he goes to, to Spain, doesn't win a trophy or goes to PSG, doesn't win a trophy. It's just it. That's a wrap for Harry Kane. He's just never going to win anything. 
I didn't. And it's not. Yeah. It's not Spurs. It's it's Kane. That see, that's the thing. I'd never that's thought of it that way. That's the theory. That's my new theory. You just flipped the script <laughs> on him. The script. The the Euros is an interesting one because I actually think Portugal could win again. And when Portugal won in 2016, I hated it because they only won one game outright and they tied the rest of them. And they won in PKs. They won like an overtime or some dog shit. Like it was an unbelievable run because they were just mediocre. And they rode on Cristiano a yeah. little bit, and then he gets hurt in the final. I Portugal could be scary because if you have Bruno Fernandes giving Cristiano the ball, he doesn't need that many chances even as an older man to be able to put the ball away. The other thing is I'm interested to see what Norway does. I'm not sure if they're completely out. I think there's I'm, – I'm not actually I, – I was looking for the list while you guys were talking, but Norway could be scary in the future, whether it's the Euros or the World Cup, because they have young talent and anybody near Holland, you just give that guy the ball long home. enough. And it's just kind of like, it's kind of scary. They have Odegaard. They have some other good players yeah. that I think are kind of, they're definitely on the radar, but as a national team, I don't really know what that looks like. I would love to see England win it, though, just from our podcast standpoint, because I think it would help to elevate a lot of the teams and players that we enjoy watching and supporting. So, I will tell you one thing. If Raheem Sterling is a starting forward on that team, they're not going to score many goals because that guy is a bottler, <laughs> just a constant bottler. He would be so. bang average on any other team. The fact that he gets like that many goal scoring opportunities and doesn't score thirty goals a season on City is just proves how average he re- he truly is. City's got to be weird, man. It's got to be weird to play up top yeah. for City. Like you get way more chances than you'll get in any other like opportunity, like any other team in history outside of maybe a Barcelona in front of a Messi or whatever. But like there are also so many other threats on that team where it's like. At any point in time, there's somebody in a better position and probably better than you that is like more able to score this goal, even if it's a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. Like there's always somebody else. It feels like City's just relentless in their opportunities and both creating them and then also just people available to finish opportunities. That yeah, it's they're spoiled for spoiled for. I just cannot. We'll never get over in the Champions League when he he just. Oh, shanked the ball. Skied it against Skied Leon. It. He was on five, the five yard. He was five yards out. He was literally in the middle of the goal, and he skies it over the bar. Skies it. Not even close. It, it is an embarrassment of yeah. riches moving forward. They're just so silly. You're like, all right, should I give it to Mares, who's you know the best player for his national team? No, I'll give it to Jesus, who's probably Brazil's top. No, I'll give it to Aguero, who's actually could still be Argentina's top four. And not playing. I don't right really now. see Messi as like playing. a nine. What's up? He's, like, he's riding yeah. the pie. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like they. Yeah, we named three guys that, like, on any game day could yeah. not even be in the. In the okay, the sure. And then and there's Phil Foden, that's... and that, and that, it's just they, they have an embarrassment yeah. of riches, and they're going to get a big name either. They'll get Harry Kane and Bobby or Holland this summer. I, I feel fairly strong about, even though Pep says that he's not. I was hoping that they would do the pull the trigger on Messi, but Aguero leaving is is basically. Like that, that nail in the coffin. There's no chance. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you think Messi will go? Uh, I think Messi's going to end up staying. I don't know why. Uh, it feels like there's been a shift change with with the leadership there. Um, I think they'll end up throwing their entire bank account at him, uh, and then that'll just kind of be it. I'd be honestly, I can't see him. I've, I said this about Neymar too. I can't see him leaving. Um, I couldn't see Neymar leaving. I thought he would have stayed there. Um, so maybe, maybe my radar is wrong but yeah i don't know where he goes i don't think he goes to psg i don't he doesn't go anywhere else in spain he doesn't go to italy i don't see him in the premier league even really um i would love it i think it'd be so sick but i just don't think it's i don't think it's real 
after this past summer's tickling of my emotions, thinking about him going to City and how exciting that would be, just because I follow the Premier League a lot more than La Liga, even though he would be going to essentially like the evil empire, I am just done with Lionel Messi in that sense. Like the dude played with my emotions and that's done. But, you know, I wish him well. I just hope he's happy. That's my thing. I just hope he's happy. And I don't think he's been happy for a while because when he loses in the Champions Leagues to teams that are, they're good, but like Barcelona should be at that level. It's just, I more just feel for him. And in Latin America, Argentina is definitely my second team. And so, yeah. But anyway, Chris, we want to thank you for being flexible with the times. We know that you're on the other side of the pond and hopping on and joining us. And whenever we get over there being England to see a game, we will absolutely look you up and, you know, maybe even go see your team play. I think, I think they're a decent team. <laughs> it's a big stadium at least. <laughs> it's a, it's a big state. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things I want to go to the Spurs stadium is go do that little skywalk and like, I don't know, do that, do that whole thing. So thanks for hopping on. Uh, we love having Americans that are especially over in England on the podcast. Always good to have an Arsenal fan on to kind of fulfill the London trifecta, even though we're all getting beat currently by West Ham. That's a dark thing for another day. Yeah. Um, We could have spent an hour talking about that. Oh God. Lingardino. Lingardino is doing a tap dance on all our teams. Um, But thank you so much, Chris, for joining. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you guys. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, And hope to see you soon. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Boys and Bolos podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, Twitch, at Boys and Bolos. If you'd like to be a guest, please reach out. You can hit us on any of the social media accounts that Jeff just mentioned or email us directly at boysandbolos at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.